What's up, everybody? How's it going? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Interlude with Drew. This is Andrew McCain. I really appreciate every one of you guys that continue to tune in. I pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. I pray that you find it enjoyable, informative, engaging, and um, you know it keeps you coming back. Obviously, if you're listening to this episode, unless it's your first time, I believe that you have heard something that caused you to want to come back, and I really appreciate that. Today's topic is a topic that I've seen going back and forth on social media for at least the past five years or so. More so, more so in the last uh, couple years, it's intensified, and it's the argument of gospel versus CCM. Gospel versus CCM. Now, every time I see this um, argument on mostly Facebook, um, sometimes Instagram, um, I always see somebody comment and say, well, what is CCM? So just to define that CCM is contemporary Christian music. All right. And if we're being honest, it's really uh, an argument of black gospel, which is kind of attributed to black people and then contemporary Christian music, which is normally or used to be only attributed to white people. And it shouldn't be this divisive, honestly, between colors and everything like that. We should be able to choose whatever type of music that we like. But, um, you know, people have preferences and a lot of times the preference uh, has something to do with your culture and everything like that. So just given like a background or what I know of, of gospel music. So gospel music, um, the originator of what we know today as gospel music is uh, Thomas Dorsey. And he was singing in like the 60s and everything like that. And he kind of defined like what we know as that sound of gospel music. And um he was uh he was like a pioneer of it, but there was already like you know the kind of you know the, the the way how people uh, of color would sing came from the slavery times, what we would call uh, Negro spirituals, and um, they would be singing those songs about freedom while they were still bound, just to encourage themselves uh, that they could one day be free, and just the way how they would kind of moan and sing and everything like that. Uh, would would, would kind of define the way how gospel music was like they they were like i said known as negro spirituals but eventually that that turned into gospel later on um then we had you know people like mahalia jackson in the 60s and everything like that who played a huge part in the civil rights movement and it, it kind of trickled down to when uh gospel eventually like made a the biggest crossover which was um edwin hawkins when he wrote the song oh happy day um and i i believe till this day that 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 song still probably has a record for you know how how successful it was at that time this was the late 60s um then you know around that time we also had like andre crouch who made a huge impact um starting when he was a teenager writing the song the blood that uh would never lose his power and he continued to write songs that became hymns in the hymn book and he was also able to cross over um, outside of the gospel arena into like secular spaces and everything like that. So he played a huge part in uh, pushing the genre forward. I see him honestly as the greatest to ever do it. Just seeing, 
you know, his his discography, his impact, and all, all the songs that he's written. Like, when you go through the list of his songs, it's really, truly amazing. I remember when it was his funeral, I knew he wrote a whole lot of hymns, but I, I just couldn't believe how many songs that we all know. And it was like, wait, he wrote that? Like, wow. If you don't know, go go do your research. It's crazy. So, um, you know, leading into the 80s, there, there or around that time, there was James Cleveland, who's uh, a lot of people see him as the king of gospel. Um, and then you had the, the Hawkins family, Walter Hawkins, Edwin's brother. Um, he married Tremaine Hawkins, and they all released a lot of music during the 70s and 80s and, and 90s. Um, they're some of the greatest to ever do it as well. And um, then you had the Winans group who made huge strides in crossing over to secular spaces as well. Um, and then Commission came along not too long after that, uh, which birthed eventually Fred Hammond and Marvin Sapp. And during the 80s, I believe that what was a huge time for gospel music. Um, you had the Clark sisters and uh, everybody was, was, was seemingly making like huge hits and everything like that. And then came the 90s when it, it was even, you know, even I, in my eyes, even bigger. That's the era, era I grew up in, the 90s. I remember I, growing up in Maryland, there was uh, like four different gospel stations on the AM side of the radio. Some people don't even know what AM means, but <laughs> the AM side of the radio, there was like four different gospel stations. But one main gospel station that we would listen to, I used to love it so much, um, and what I remember is that like every artist that would sing or come on, they would have their own distinct sound. Like uh, Hezekiah Walker would come on and you know it was him by if it's an upbeat song, you hear that groove. And if it was a slower song, they had a certain sound to it. Uh, Ricky Diller would come on. He had a certain sound. Um, John P. Key would come on. You know that rasp in his voice and the, the band uh, that was playing with them, they had a certain sound. Then Fred Hammond came and he was bringing that praise and worship feel and he had a uh, great voice as well. And everybody, no matter if they were the biggest artist or a lesser known artist, they all had their own unique uh, voice and their own unique type of music. And it's like everybody that came on was different. And I, I didn't, I didn't see it as something special back then, but I definitely enjoyed it. And looking back now, it's like, man, that was, that was a different time. And um, I remember listening to the radio back then uh, around five o'clock, six o'clock, um, there would start to be a whole lot of static in the stations because um, they were on the AM side. And I, for whatever reason, I guess the, the signal wasn't great, but for the rest of the night, you couldn't hear anything on those stations. So I always, uh, me and my family always had to flip over to the FM side, which um, there, was a, there was a station called WGTS, uh, which was a CCM or Contemporary Christian Music Station. And of course, the music on there was totally different, but I enjoyed that as well. It was uh, like Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, uh, Jackie Velasquez, uh, Phillips Craig and Dean, um, a lot of different groups like that, Natalie Grant, uh, a lot of people like that. And um, so we would hear those like during the night and everything like that, sometimes during the day, but you know, if it's daytime, I was usually trying to listen to the gospel stations. So I, I kind of got, you know, the best of both worlds. I was hearing both sides. But what contemporary Christian music was back then compared to what it is now is a lot different. Now, when we think of CCM, we think of four chords, we think of worship, we think of pads, we think of the atmosphere sounds and the guitars and stuff like that. But around that time in the 90s and the early 2000s, what I was hearing, it was a lot of um, 
there was a lot of storytelling, kind of like country music. Like they would, they would be writing songs about stuff they observed at their house. Like, you know, I'm sitting in the living room, busy flies buzzing around. He hits the screen and he tumbles down and just making a whole song out of like one little instance that you saw at your house. And that's, that's, that's kind of the way how CCM was back then. But um, in the mid 2000s, I feel like is when it kind of shifted to all worship type of music. Um, and in gospel, you know, up, up to like maybe around 2005 or six, it, it kind of continued to be the way that it was. Like everybody had their own sound. Like in the 2000s, Ty Tribbett got real popular. In the late 90s, Dietrich Haddon got popular and they own, they, 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 they all had their own unique type of style. Jay Moss, everybody like that. So every generation would come with different people that had a unique sound. And I remember in around like 2001, uh, Israel and New Breed first came out. I remember hearing on the radio, here's this new artist called Israel and New Breed, and here's a single new season. I was like, somebody's name Israel? And I heard the song, I was like, this is, this is nice. I like this song. And um, it that song, New Season, I would say for the most part was pretty gospel anyway. So it wasn't like, what, what is this? It, it was, it was, you know, once again, a new artist with their own sound. So it's kind of the order of the day, but this was something different. Then after that, he followed up with the song, You Are Good. Now that was around 2001, 2002, this 2022 now. Last week, I just played You Are Good at an um, offering at a conference and it went crazy, just like it would have in 2002. So that just goes to show how timeless that song is. To me personally, it never gets old and there's many different ways you could play it. But he was coming with something new. Like at the beginning of the song, uh, he's playing the acoustic guitar. Like that was unheard of in gospel at the time. Like who, if, if there is an acoustic guitar, it's not going to be the lead singer playing it and singing. And more than likely, there wasn't going to be one anyway. So um, Israel was coming, doing something totally different. I remember Jonathan McReynolds said that when he first started in like 2010, he would go to perform and people didn't know where to plug in his or how to plug in his acoustic guitar. So I can only imagine Israel in like 2002. So he was coming and, and, and forging a whole new territory, him and Aaron Lindsay. But like I said, that first album was still pretty gospel based as far as like the gospel as we do it. It had Trading My Sorrows. It had um, There's a Lifting of the Hands. It, that's a classic album. And I hope all my listeners have heard it because that's, that's a classic right there. A new Season by Israel, a New Breed. So they came in on the scene. And um, it's interesting because Israel and Aaron Lindsay at the same time uh, Aaron was playing for Fred Hammond. Israel was singing for Fred Hammond. They were on tour. They were roommates. And that's when they came together and talked about the idea to start something that was different from what everybody else is doing, which became New Breed. So that's a that's a cool story. Um, and I remember, you know, they, they started to release like, you know, uh, live from another level. And it was a very unique sound. Still, for the most part, it was still gospel at that time. But they definitely were bringing in the worship in a different way. Like Fred Hammond, I I see as, and most people see as the pioneer of urban praise and worship. Because prior to him, um, in black churches, you would have devotionals, which is just singing like, you know, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Uh, look what the Lord has done. Um, power, Lord, power, Lord, those type of things. And then later on, you would have uh, a selection or two from the choir, then the preaching. But he brought from the, the CCM or the Caucasian side, the praise and worship to the black church. And he started something new. 
And that that took off and people started to have what we know today as praise and worship, where you sing like, you know, praise songs and worship songs. And Israel came and took that to another level. And he pretty much brought it global because his audience wasn't just all black people. He would have uh, people of all different um, nations. And it's, it's no accident that he himself was mixed and he would have, uh, you know, listeners from both sides. He would have people that speak Spanish and people from South Africa, all, all types of different uh, listeners. And he was able to start something totally different. Now, um, you know, so we're thinking like 2005, 2006, it's slowly starting to, you know, be accepted his type of sound, but still everybody, I feel like in gospel is doing their own thing. Um, around this time, the first big song I could think of that crossed over from the CCM side that everybody in black churches was doing was Chris Tomlin's song in 2006, How Great Is Our God. Um, I remember I went to church camp in 2006 and, and um, um, I'm, I'm part of you, uh, the United Pentecostal Church. So you already, if you're familiar with that, you know, you know, you know how it is. But I remember, uh, no, I mean, like, you know how it is based on demographic. I didn't want to imply anything at all. I love the UPC. So um, in the camp, that was the year that How Great Is Our God came out. And they we had this group that was leading worship. They sang that song multiple times every service. And, you know, this camp we're talking about, there's like three services a day. But everybody was loving it. Like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest song. And everybody was just singing it over and over again. That was 2006. And a little after that, I started hearing it everywhere. Everybody was singing that song. Like, that, that was the song to sing in church. I remember um, Jonathan Nelson recorded it probably 2007 or 2008, and somebody put it on YouTube and they put uh, "How Great Is Our God" the black version. I'm like, really? Come on now. But that that's that's just the way how people are seeing things. So that that one is still a song that people can sing in 2022, and there's different variations, but that song is still powerful. I believe like a year or two later, he came back with the song "Our God," and that is still a, a huge hit like Jonathan Nelson recorded it a few years ago and you know people still sing that so that so that that, that was something different that was happening and then um I remember the first time that I, I really noticed the shift was like 2008 I believe Hezekiah Walker had an album I think it was like 2085 uh experience something like that one of those albums two or 2009 and you know, it was a regular Hezekiah Walker album with the choir songs and everything like that. Then he randomly had this song moving forward on there featuring Ricardo Sanchez, which was the, one of the writers of the song. I believe Israel co-wrote that song as well. So it was it was it was a great song. I love the song. Um, and I think I had already known it before that. But to hear it on a Hezekiah Walker album was like, whoa, like, you know, where did that come from? So um that's when I started to notice a shift because everybody was singing that song as well. And around that time, I want to say 2009, I could be wrong, but 2008, 2009 is when the group Planet Shakers, a CCM group, they released a song, The Anthem. And that's another timeless song. Um, but at that time, that 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 was making big waves in the, the CCM world and it started to cross over to gospel. So people started singing that. And I remember... Um, there was a couple gospel covers like Travis Green. We know Travis Green um, typically from 2015 with uh, um, intentional and made away and everything like that on his album, The Hill. But prior to that, I want to say maybe 2010, 2011, 
he was he was already an artist and he had a song he had a remix version of the anthem back then so he was already starting to you know kind of blend a gospel and ccm type of thing together so slowly but surely like it started to infiltrate into gospel and you know for the most part people were still um doing you know having their own sound but the 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 thing about having their own sound like the reason why hezekiah walker was able to keep a consistent sound was because the sound um used to be regional like new york had a certain sound so even if he switched his band to a younger uh band they would pretty much you know change a couple things but for the most part the groove would be still the same because the region had that certain sound like ricky dillard would keep a consistent sound because chicago had a sound and the hawkings they had like a the, the west what they call the west coast sound so that used to be a thing until the internet got really popular in youtube so now me in Connecticut, I could listen to uh, West Angeles all day and study them. I could be playing like them over here without having to live in that area. So that that changed a lot of things where people weren't having like a unique regional sound because you can get um, whatever sound you want from pretty much anywhere as long as that person listens to that type of music. So then I feel like over time, then more all of a sudden you started seeing more praise and worship leaders around like 2014 15 or so i would say um i started seeing more of them wearing like guitars and some of them weren't even playing half of the time or they didn't have it plugged in but that was kind of the style like you had to have um the guitar around your neck or you weren't anointed and that that started to be a real popular trend especially when um you know because israel had always been doing it and that you know it it, it, it it was already being being done on the CCM side, but um, I feel like when Travis Green got big in like 2015, that's when you really started seeing it a lot. Um, Todd Delaney's another one who was already, you know, he already had the song Pulling Me Through, but people weren't exactly like um, talking a whole lot about his album that that was on. But once his, uh, once he put out The Worshipper's Heart, then that was a huge thing as well because he did his version of the anthem and he used to uh, sing with the, the guitar around his neck a lot too. And then that's when it was really like, because Todd Delaney and Travis Green both had like a unique blend, uh, like a fusion of gospel and CCM. So they weren't like hard, edgy, edgy gospel, but they weren't like all the way stripped down CCM either. So that's when it became popular to have that fusion. And that's when I feel like the the sound of gospel started to kind of take a back seat because now it wasn't just that people um, that were artists wanted to sing the, uh, the CCM all the time. The labels were seeing how successful CCM type songs were. So they were demanding that from artists. So even if the artists didn't want to do it, they were under pressure from the label. Then the fans only wanted to hear a certain type of sound. Like, you know, when people say like, there is a sound that, needs to be lifted in this place and everything like that. So, so yeah, so over time, people kind of shifted towards that um, CCM sound. Now, what the argument is, I feel like nowadays, a lot of people that are in church are happy with the shift because, you know, it feels like, um, you know, people kind of want to say that CCM is the sound of heaven. Like, this is the sound that God hears. But I feel like that's unfair because God didn't create everybody exactly the same. He made us all unique, gave us all different tastes, different uh, wants, different talents and gifts. So why would he do all that just for us all to sound the same? So I believe God can 
move through a gospel song just as much as a CCM song, just as much as a Latin song, just as much as a folk song, whatever way, as long as the heart is pure and the intention is right to give God glory, he's going to move. So we should never feel like CCM is the only way. And a lot of what the argument is now is that because CCM is only like four chords for the most part, um, gospel musicians who grew up listening to like a Thai tribute where he would stretch your you know, abilities and everything like that. And then now you're feeling restricted to this type of music that in a lot of eyes is like really bland and basic. Um, even though it does take discipline to play um, that straight type of music. But that's that's where the argument, I feel like, comes in, where the musicians are like, all right, I'm tired of playing this music that we have to play every week because the praise and worship leader at my church keeps choosing CCM songs. I, I want to play gospel. I want to play some Richard Smallwood. I want to play some uh, some heads. I want to play some John P. Key, but we keep playing um, CCM. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of everybody sounding like this. So that's where the real argument comes in. And from my perspective, the way I see it, um, I enjoy CCM music. Um, I, I really love like when the, the lyrics are really deep and it leads you to a really introspective look in um, your worship and everything like that. Um, but I really, I'm, I'm, I'm a gospel lover at heart. And, you know, I wish that um, it wasn't fading away. There are still, if you look in the right places, you could definitely find some some great gospel music, but it's not as mainstream as it once was. I wish that people were free to be able to do whatever is uh, true to them. Because um, I feel like people like William McDowell have like a good mix of it, like where his upbeat songs are, are like pretty, uh, like right straight down the middle between gospel and CCM. And he can go real gospel as well. And then his um, slow songs are like really great in worship. And I, I truly enjoy his music. So I, what would it be like if we were forcing him to be like a choir director or something like that, or forcing John P. Key to do a, uh, you know, be with Elevation Worship? So I, I really feel like people should be able to, you know, like what you like. It does, you don't have to do what everybody else does. Like And like I said, if you look hard enough, you could find, you could definitely still find some great gospel like Vincent Bohannon and, and there, there's a whole lot of choirs still around, um, but you just got to look for it because it's not it's not mainstream like it was. I believe eventually it will return to the forefront because everything kind of has like a certain um, time for for how like this it goes in cycles. And a lot of what happened in gospel too is that like people I feel like with the musicians wanting gospel to be like it was, sometimes a lot of times they would overdo it with the um, arrangements to the point where people are like, oh, yeah, this is too much. We can't do this at church. And then that kind of became a, a thing where everybody's just doing the most. Where in, back in the day, the music was challenging, but it was like unique in such a way that it was memorable. And we still remember like what Soundcheck and Ty Tribbett and GA were doing. In the early 2000s, we still remember it now. So it, 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 it's a tough thing, but I, I, I just, I, my, my prayer would be that everybody would just, you know, be true to themselves, be true to what, the sound that God has put on the inside of you. And as a listener, just listen to what you like. Some days I want to listen to some CCM. Some days I just want to hear gospel. So, you know, don't feel pressure uh, by everybody else, what everybody else wants to do. Just do what God has put in your heart. And when it comes to listening for enjoyment, just listen to what you enjoy. And that's what it is. We don't have to keep going back and forth because it does uh, eventually come down to like racial undertones, but it shouldn't. Because if you're white and you enjoy gospel, 
then that's fine. You shouldn't feel like because you are a certain color, you don't have to, I mean, you're not allowed to like a certain type of music. If you're black and you enjoy CCM, same thing. So just, you know, we shouldn't allow division to be so prominent in the church, but you know, gospel will continue to live on, I pray. And it has its place and it's needed. And CCM has its place and it's needed. So that's my, that's my, that's my take on it. So thank you once again for tuning into this episode of the end of the Lord with Drew. As I always say, only what you do for Christ will last. Take it one day at a time and keep it pushing. I'll catch y'all next time. It's the interview with Drew. Welcome to The Interlude with Drew.